Heavenly Father, Lord, that's the desire of our hearts. Tonight, not that I would speak, Lord God, and not even that your people would hear, as it were, but that, Lord, you would speak and that you would hear through your people. Lord, open our mouth, Lord, open our ears. Lord, we ask you to take complete control, Lord, that as we look down through the ages, Lord, Lord, we can see the great truths that you've revealed in this day. Lord, and may we not just leave these things in the past or in history, but may we recognize where they're applicable in our own lives, Father. Lord, for we know that the spirits that have attacked down through the ages still attack. Lord, but the same power that you gave to the men and women down through the ages to overcome with still overcomes in this day. Lord, we just thank you, Lord God, for that. We ask you that you'll speak now, that you'll take control of this service, and that you'll have your way, Lord. We just commit it all to you now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Isn't it good to be in the house of God? Amen. Well, um, if you're surprised to see me up here tonight, you're not near as surprised as I am. I, uh, no, Brother Timothy woke up sick this morning, and so um, Brother Tim had asked me if I would stand in tonight and, and, and have the opportunity to share with you, the church, what we have been sharing with uh, with the young people as we've studied the church ages. And so um, we're going to read one, one scripture here in the, in the book of Revelation, if you'll turn with me to Revelation 2 and... And, and, and we'll read um, verse 12, and we'll just remain standing as, as we read this one verse. And I'll let you have your seat, and we'll come back to the Scriptures later. Uh, Revelation 2 and verse 12, it says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. Amen. I pray that the Lord will add his blessings to the word as you have your seats tonight. And Amen. So it'll be a little different tonight. I, I'm, I'm not necessarily going to do anything different. I'm just going to approach this the same way I do our youth services and just trust that the Lord will have his way and that, that, that he'll move the way he wants to move and, and that we can just get ourselves out of the way tonight. Amen. Amen. So we've been studying with, with the youth, the, 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 the church age book, and, and I would like to say that if, if you haven't read it recently, I would recommend that you do. I would recommend that you get in it. It's not one of those things that you read once and say, well, I've read it or, you know, I know what's in there. But but just everything we believe you can find in the church age book uh, after the Bible. I think it's the most important book that there is. And, and I think that we should go through it, you know, time and, and, and time again. And I'd like to, you know, and when you read it, don't just read it, but read it with, with the mind of revelation. And Lord, open your word to me and and, and, and actually go through it and digest it. But with the youth, we have come down through and studied the revelation of Jesus Christ. We've studied the Patmos vision, the Ephesian age, and we've also already studied the Smyrnian age. And we find that it's important because Brother Branham says, for out of the ages come the seals and out of the seals come the trumpets and out of the trumpets come the vows like the first burst of a Roman candle. The church ages come forth with a mighty initial illumination without which there could be no further light. 
But once the brilliance of the seven church ages is given by divine revelation, light upon light follows until the whole of the revelation opens wide before our wondering eyes. You read that and you can see the importance of understanding and revelation and digging into this. And, and it's important once again to, to stress the importance of revelation. We can read it, we, we can memorize it, we can learn things, but we want it to be more than that tonight. We want it to be God revealing himself to us, revealing himself to our soul, to where there's a true understanding, not just a head knowledge, not just something that, that we know because we've memorized it, but we know because we've met the author. We know because he's opened it up to us. Amen. We, we want God to reveal himself to us. And Brother Brown says the importance of revelation by the spirit to a true believer can never be overemphasized. So no matter how much we talk about it, no matter how much we preach about it, no matter how much we put it out there, we cannot overemphasize it. He says it can never be overemphasized. Revelation means more to you than perhaps you realize. Now, I'm not talking about this book of Revelation. He says I'm talking about Revelation, God revealing himself to you personally. Amen. Once God's revealed something to you, there's nobody, no man, no spirit, no devil, no nothing that can take it out of your heart. If you know this message by head knowledge and you have an argument, then somebody might can just come and out argue. But once you have an experience and a revelation of who God is, you're not the, at the mercy of an argument. You're not the, at the mercy of somebody with the better head knowledge than you because it anchors down in your soul and it's there forever. It is an eternal revelation. Amen. So we have, we have studied with the young people the, the supreme deity of Jesus Christ, the errors of the Trinity doctrine, because we know and the word proves and history proves that they didn't believe in three gods at the beginning. They didn't believe in three gods in the book of Acts. And it wasn't until the Nicene Council of 325 AD that, that the Roman way of polytheistic worship became instituted into the church. And we've studied proper baptism in the name of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. We've studied the original sin in the garden. And thus because of the original sin, the, the two separate vines that we find winding down through the church ages and all through time. And we know that there's one true vine and one false vine. And how that false vine is always trying to take the life away and choke out the true vine. So he's always trying to rob that life. And, and we've, we've studied the persecution of the church and the tribulations that the saints down through the ages have endured for the cause of Christ. And many other things we've covered, like the sound of many waters, the seven stars in his right hand, the sevenfold glory of his person, all these things. And now we're coming to a new age tonight. We've studied the messengers in each age, but now we're at the start of another age, the Pergamian age. And so that's where we find ourselves tonight. The, it says, and I'm going to read again. And to the angel in Pergamus write, these things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr. Who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee. Because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. 
who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. It says, So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saveth he that receiveth it. Amen. So tonight, this, this is the message to, to the church there at Pergamos. We'll probably only get to, to look at, at verse 12 and verse 13. But we want to look for a minute. A lot of this will be informational because we're going just through the church age book as, as Brother Branham would do it. Pergamos lasted from 312 to 606 A.D. You can see it here on the map in the northern part there of Asia Minor. You can see the seven churches. We started at Ephesus, went up to Smyrna, and now we're up at, at Pergamos. Pergamon was the actual, the ancient name, um, but as down through time it became known as Pergamos. What you see here is just some of the, the ruins that are still left behind from that time that still stand to this day there at the city of Pergamos. Pergamos was located on three different rivers. One of these rivers had access down to the sea, and it wasn't a small place. There was over 200,000 residents that lived in Pergamos at its apex, when it was at its most powerful. And, and Brother Branham, it was a major intellectual and cultural center. Brother Branham says, yes, it was a, 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 a city of great sin. Given over to the sensuous rites of the worship of, of, of Asclepius. Whom they worshipped in the form of a living serpent, which was housed and fed in the temple. He goes on to say, in this beautiful city of irrigated groves, public walks and parks, lived a small group of dedicated believers. I like to believe that that would be our description even today. Maybe we live in a world full of sin, a world full of evil. And you know, in this place, they were actually worshiping a living serpent. We live in a time where people worship the devil. They may call on the name of Jesus, but they, they, they worship the devil. Their lives prove that. Their lives manifest that we're surrounded by evil. But down there in Laodicea, there is a small group of dedicated believers. There are people that have received the truth of the day and they're holding on to it. No matter what comes, no matter who tries to pull away, no matter who tries to strip us of, 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 of the God-given rights that we have in this day, we're going to stand firm and fight for them and we're not backing off. And one day there'll be written of us that there was a small group of dedicated believers that stood firm in the face of evil, that stood firm in the face of sin. Amen. Brother Brownell makes it clear that the key to the whole church age study to everything, he said, it is the revelation that God never changes and that his ways are as unchangeable as he is. That's why the, the very theme of this message was Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever. And Brother Branham goes, and some of these things are very, very impertinent um, to our day as, as there's people saying that, you know, maybe you shouldn't have so much emotion in the church and, and we don't need certain things and certain things are, are, have been put on the shelf and you don't get the new birth the way they used to. And, and then, you know, that maybe there's no true revival going on, things like that. But Brother Branham says, 
Speaking of how God never changes, he says that is how it is done. The true church. How many believe we're the true church? Will always try to be like the original at Pentecost. He says the true church of today will try to approximate that early first one. And the messengers to the churches having the same spirit of God in them will try to approximate the apostle Paul. So he's using a scriptural pattern here. And he says using history as our source. He says we can find what men in each age were the closest to the original pattern. And we know that the apostle Paul was the original messenger. So what, they, so what he would do is he would examine the ministry of those men that God used to restore truth in each age. Not that there was just one. There may have been many that God used to restore truth in each, in each age. But Brother Brandon would go and he would examine them and he would use this scriptural pattern. He says, then out of those, there would be one of every age who would stand out the clearest as the closest in word pattern and power. That one would be the messenger. Now, as he looked, they wouldn't be carbon copies. It wouldn't be in somebody trying to stand a certain way, talk a certain way. That's not what he's talking about. They wouldn't be carbon copies, but all of all the gifts and of all the ministries in each age, the one that is the most like Paul, meaning that preached the word the way he preached it, that stood for the truth that Paul stood for, the one who, 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 who would contend for the faith as it was once delivered. That one, he said, would be the messenger to each age. And he says, as like begets like. Now, listen again. The true church will always be the one that tries to follow in the steps of her founders at Pentecost. How different is that from those trying their best to distance themselves from Pentecost? Not only are we not trying to be just exactly like it, but we're literally finding people pushing away. Saying we don't need, we don't need. And Brother Branham saying the true church is going to literally try to copy it. They're going to look at it and say, what was at Pentecost is mine. What the new birth that they had at Pentecost is mine. The salvation that their kids could get in the book of Acts is for me. The healings they had is for me. Where they spoke in tongues, we can too. Where there was gifts, we can have those gifts too. He's saying that what the church had at Pentecost is the inalienable right of each and every one of you. And he says the true church is going to try to get a hold of it. They're going to fight for it. He says, and her messengers will follow the apostle Paul, the first messenger to the first age. He says, it is that simple and that wonderful. Why have we complicated it so much? It's. That simple. It's really not even, it's one of those things, there's things in the scripture that I can understand. Sometimes maybe you don't see it the way I see it and I don't see it. But Brother Branham says, this isn't debatable. This is how it is. It's that simple. So using this scriptural pattern. He says, using our God-given rule for choosing the messenger to each age. That is, we choose the one whose ministry most closely approximates that of the first messenger, Paul. We unhesitatingly declare the Pergamian messenger to be Martin. 
I read that and I thought, isn't that awesome? Just the way Brother Branham worded that right there, unhesitatingly declare. You talk about seeing things from a higher plane. You talk about uh, being, being able to see things in this day that no other age has been able to see. We can look at things in the past and study things from past ages that others can only probe at. And well, maybe it was like this and maybe this and, you know, and who knows. And yet we look at it clearly. We don't wonder if maybe it was Martin. We can unhesitatingly declare today that the messenger of this age was Martin. There's no doubt. There's no wonder. But it's been declared to us in this day unhesitating. Listen, in a world of darkness, in a world where there is no truth, in a world where people are wandering around aimlessly, we can stand today unhesitatingly and say, God sent a message in this day. God has restored truth in this day. God has turned our hearts back in this day. I don't have to be ashamed that God sent a prophet. I don't got that doesn't embarrass me none because I can take everything he said right back to the word unhesitatingly and say it's been vindicated time after time after time. We can stand on this message tonight unhesitatingly. Martin was born in Hungary in 315. Brother Brown says, however, his life work was in France. Where he labored in and around tours as a bishop. He died in 399. He's the uncle of St. Patrick of Ireland. And he was a professional soldier. Brother Branham goes on to talk about Martin and his conversion. And, and, and some of the things that, that, that pointed to him. That let him know that he was the messenger for the age. He says Martin was converted to Christ while he was following a career as a professional soldier and his conversion came from a very supernatural event that he experienced while he was a soldier as he was on patrol one night and it was freezing cold and snow and and things of that nature there was a beggar there on the side of the road that was freezing to death and no one else had paid any attention to him they just left it there along by the side didn't give no heed to him and just let him lay there until Martin comes along. And Martin sees him there and in the bitter cold. And he doesn't have an extra coat or an extra cloak that he can give him. So he takes off the one that he's wearing. And he cuts it in half. And then he takes and wraps the beggar there in, the, in one half of it. That he can be shielded from the cold and, and warm. And, and Brother Branham says he attended him the best he could and went on his way. He says that night the Lord Jesus appeared unto him in a vision. There he stood like a beggar, wrapped in the half of Martin's garment. He spoke to him and said, Martin, though he is only a catchman, has clothed me with his garment. He says from that moment on, he sought to serve God with all his heart. And his life became a series of supernatural miracles that manifested the power of God. You know, and I could only, I just thought about that within myself. And I, and I know this is just, just me in my own mind. But I thought today, you know, we, we, there are things that the church world is just neglecting. And they're just leaving Jesus neglected there with dirty feet. And they're not paying him any attention. 
But there's somebody coming along and recognizing that that part of the word is supposed to be picked up. And that part of the word is supposed to be picked up and it's supposed to be taken care of and cherished and brought in from, from, the, from the world where it's been neglected and left out there. And there's a people today that's taking the very word Jesus and putting it back in a place that it deserves, in a place of reverence. And then picking it up and saying the word matters, the truth matters. Others may have left it neglected by the wayside, but to us, we're not going to leave it there, but we're going to pick it up. And we're not just going to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds seedeth out of the mouth of God. It says from that moment on, his life became a series of supernatural miracles that manifested the power of God. So apparently that the, 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 the works that happened in the book of Acts were still happening here in the Pergamian church age. Those that followed the message, the true message in the Pergamian age were experiencing and witnessing the supernatural It says, after having left the army, Brother Brown says, and having become a leader in the church, he took a militant stand against idolatry. He cut down the pagan groves, tore down the images of of their idols, and he destroyed their altars. Says he had no fear. I, I like a man that has no fear. That isn't afraid to stand up for what he believes in. Says he had no fear of the enemy regardless of their standing or regardless of their position. He wasn't swayed by politics. He wasn't swayed by who paid the most tithes and and this, that, and the other. He didn't care about any of that stuff. So he he withstood bishops. He withstood emperors. He withstood everyone as long as they were standing against the word of God. It says one ruler actually refused to open the gates and let him in. Because he had this this emperor was persecuting people. and, and, And so Martin's there to speak with him. And so he prayed and the gates opened supernaturally. So Martin goes in and the emperor won't even look at him, just haughty and won't even look at him, refuses to listen to him, refuses to speak to him. So right there in his presence, Martin falls on his face and goes to prayer again. And then right there in the midst of witnesses, a a, a fire bursts forth out of the throne that the emperor is sitting on. And he has to come running down off of the throne right there. And Brother Branham just says, he says, God will always humble the haughty. He'll always humble the haughty. But right there, Martin was a man who operated and believed in the supernatural. Says historians acknowledge that on at least three occasions, he raised the dead by faith in Jesus' name. Such was his order in serving the Lord that the devil was mightily aroused. What is your testimony? What is your testimony? Is the devil taking note of your presence? Because it talks about how upset that the devil was with Martin to the point that, that, that he would even send assassins to try to take his life for doing nothing other than standing for the word of God. Because I'll tell you this, and we'll get into this later, that things go hand in hand. When you stand for the word of God, the supernatural will follow. And it's supernatural going on. You just start letting supernatural take place. You'll start making enemies that, that you didn't even try to make. You'll start having people not liking you and trying to call you out. And you had not said nothing or done nothing. You're just standing for the word of God. You're just letting the supernatural move and people start taking note and people start hating you. And Brother Branham says the devil took note of Martin. I want that to be my testimony. 
I want that, not that I care if the devil knows about me. I want God to know me. But I do want the devil to know that there's somebody down there shaking up my kingdom. There's somebody there that's tearing things up. That's standing for truth. That won't back off the word. No matter how much Laodicean pressure I put on them. No matter how lukewarm other people get. There's somebody down there that's still preaching it straight and truth. And saying this is a living word with a living God. And there's a power under resurrection. It says, too often when men are signally used of the Lord, they become lifted up with pride. But not so with Martin. He ever remained the humble servant of God. Brother Branham says, surely this was a great man, a true messenger to the age. Never desirous of aught, but to please God, he lived the most consecrated life. He says, by signs and wonders... By signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit, Martin was truly vindicated as the messenger to that age. But not only was he gifted by a great ministry, he himself was forever true to the Word of God. I don't care how great your ministry is, if you can't stay true to the Word of God. If you begin to get so lifted up that you think your ideas matter, you will be humbled. You will be brought down. But he says he fought organization. He withstood sin in high places. He championed the truth in word and deed and lived out a full life of Christian victory. Listen, at the end of it all, I hope, I hope they can say that, 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 that the Lord worked through me to do some miraculous things and, and all those things. I, I, I believe that these signs shall follow them that believe. I say it over and over. We'll say it a bunch tonight. But at the end of my life, if time tarries, I hope people can say that he lived out a full life of Christian victory. Because in the end, that's what it's all about. Is the Holy Ghost you claim to have producing victory in your life. You can produce signs and wonders and speak in tongues and shout and dance, but I want you to produce victory. I'm looking for victory because it's the victorious that's going to leave here. It's the victorious that's going to have a body change. What we need in the lives of men and women tonight is victory. Victorious lives. During this age, there was continued persecution. Scripture would tell us in John 16 and 2, they shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God a service. Matthew 24, 9, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my namesake. God was moving and the devil was stirred up. The persecution of the previous age had not abated. And, and look in there at John 16, 2, where it says that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God a service. Brother Branham says, he says, they were burned at the stake. They were nailed to logs face down. And wild dogs were turned loose upon them. So that the dogs would tear away the flesh and bowels. Leaving the victim to die in terrible torture. Babes were ripped from expecting mothers and thrown to the hogs. And he says what made it even worse is that a lot of this was being done by others who claimed to be Christians. That thought they were stomping out you know, heretics. 
So they thought they were doing this to do God a service. But as I read that, and I didn't quote all of it because he goes on and on, but you get the point. Nailed the logs face down and wild dogs turned loose on them. Tear away their flesh and bowels. Babes ripped from expecting mothers thrown to the hogs. And I thought, how do we even have the nerve to voice our trials and our tribulations? How do we even have the nerve to ever complain? How are we so caught up in the little things that would divide us? How have we gotten to the place that we're so soft as Christians that we actually gripe about the temperature in the church? I know I get cold up here sometimes too. I'm not talking about saying, man, it was cold. But there are people who literally gripe and let it ruin their service. I was so cold. Were you tied face down and wild dogs released upon you during the service? I mean, seriously. We've gotten to the place where we'll gripe about how loud a mic is. Or who's preaching or who's leading singing. Look, we're all human. We all have our likes and dislikes, preferences. You know, nobody wants their ears to hurt because the mics were too. Nobody wants anything like that. I understand humanity. But when it comes right down to it, the amount of time and energy we put into griping and into negativity. When I'm saying just have the strength to push through. Have the strength to push that out of your mind and say, I've gathered here to have service. I've gathered here to hear from God. And I'm going to do that no matter if things are perfect or not. At least I'm not getting eaten by dogs or thrown to the hogs or burned at the stake. And none of that is happening here tonight. I promise. Praise the Lord. Let's not be so soft. Let's recognize that these people had their eyes on the prize. These people, if we could get that, get our focus back on the prize and why we gather and what we're doing and what we're fighting for and what the prize is. And we start to let those little things fall off to the side and recognize, look, just around the curve, we're going home. We're right here on the final lap. We're right here at the end of time. I will not be distracted. I will not be pulled off into negativity, but I'm going to keep my eyes on the prize. It's rapture day. It's going home time. It's victory day. Let's bring our focus back tonight. They were valiant and they were brave and they went to their deaths praising God. Praising God that they were accounted worthy. Let that become our focus again. God, let me be accounted worthy. Lord, to fulfill what you've called me to fulfill in this day. And in this day, he's not even calling you to die for him. He's calling you to live for him. He's, 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 Lord, let me be accounted worthy to manifest you in this day, to be a light shining in darkness in this last day, to manifest you in this last age. I mentioned this, Brother Brown says, and the tragedy was even greater to think about when one realizes that this was not solely the work of heathen. But many times it was caused by so-called Christians who felt that they did God a favor in exterminating these loyal soldiers of the cross who stood for the word and obedience to the Holy Spirit. Let me just throw this in as it comes to me. Don't ever be guilty of crucifying a brother. Many times we speak in anger or in haste or out of our emotions 
Stop for a minute before we speak. Think for a minute before we speak. Forgive before we speak. If you have completely forgiven before you speak, you will never say something against someone you shouldn't. Forgive before we speak. Don't be guilty of being the ones that would bring persecution against those fighting the same fight we're fighting. What you see here is the false vine lashing out at the true vine. False seed lashing out just like in Genesis where Cain lashed out at Abel. And what it is is their worship is false. And an example of true worship is placed in front of them. And they're told this is what's right. Do this and you'll be accepted. And instead of coming God's provided way, they take the path of Cain. Cain worship. And they go the path of Cain and that is murder. Why? Well, we dealt with a little bit of this on Sunday. It's because their father was a murderer from the beginning. They can't help but manifest what seed is within them. Amen. Verse 12, the salutation. Revelations 2, 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I like to focus on that. Saith he who has the sharp sword with two edges. Key word there, he. Let's find out who he is. Brother Branham tells us that this is just a further revelation. Talking about Jesus. Of his Godhead set forth by his association with the sharp two-edged sword, which is, we all should know, the word of God. So Brother Branham says it's just a further, it is a further revelation of his Godhead set forth by his association with the sharp two-edged sword, which is the word of God. So what is his association with it? What is Jesus' association with the word of God. Let's look at these scriptures and it'll tell us. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So we find it right there. We know that the two-edged sword that he's holding is the word of God. Ephesians 6.17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Revelation 19.15. And out of his mouth goeth. A sharp sword. So we're starting to see an association here. It says in Revelation 19, 13. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And 1 John 5, 7 says, for there are three. Now, this one just blows it all open. If you're trying to figure out, what are you saying? What's the word? Who's the word? For there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. So just substitute for what you normally hear there. Normally, you would hear what? The Father, the and the Holy Ghost. So who is the word? Jesus. He is the word. Brother Brown says now we can see his association with the word. He is the word. 
That is who He is. The Word is His name. There in John 1 where it says, In the beginning was the Word. The actual root for that is logos, which means thought or concept. And then Brother Branham says it has a dual meaning, which is thought and speech. And remember, we talked about this once again on Sunday. A word is a thought expressed. So what John says here in chapter 1 is, is actually awesome. He says that the concept of God... The concept of God was expressed in Jesus. That which it only men had thought about or had a concept of was now expressed in Jesus. Amen. The expressed image of God. Brother Bram says God became expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus was the expressed image of God. Again, in John 1, 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The very substance of God was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. And as you think on that, it's almost overwhelming when you think that the God that spoke worlds into existence. The very God of creation, the, the God that scribes had written about, the God that prophets had prophesied of, was now standing there on the earth among men in a flesh body just like this right here, expressing God to man, manifesting God to man. Not God to man, but man to man. Think about it like that. You could handle him. You could touch him. You could see him. He felt your infirmities. He was here expressing God, the fullness of God to man in a flesh body. How, how much of God? All that God was, he poured into Christ. The whole thing before only expressed in a cloud, only expressed in a pillar of fire, but now declared, expressed, manifested, Emmanuel. God with us. Brother Brown says that is what the living word, the living word, Jesus did. He brought God to us for he was God. Amen. John 14, 10 says, believest thou not that I am in the father and the father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the father that dwelleth in me, he Doeth the works. Brother Brown says here it is most evidently set forth. That the perfect manifestation of God in the son. Was by the indwelling spirit. Manifesting in word and works. That is exactly what we have been teaching all along. Now watch he's going to go into some things here. That, that, that people like to latch on to as reasons why. You know, the works don't matter and the experience don't matter and things like that. But, but if you'll keep following the thought, he brings it all back around to this very quote right here. He says, when the bride will get back to being a word bride. Oh, well, we're all about the word. It's word, word, word. Oh, I agree. 100%. So let's read the quote together since we're all agreeing. She will produce... The very works that Jesus produced. The word is God. The spirit is God. They are all one. One cannot 
work apart from the other. Then quit trying to separate the two. Quit trying to pull them apart. I tell you, the elect won't receive a dead word. The elect won't, won't, won't fall for a word that doesn't have life in it. Because she knows, we know, the elect knows that, that if we're truly back to the word, if we are truly focused on the word, we're focused on the word, we're focused on the word, then the works must be there. You can't separate the two in that way. One cannot work apart from the other. And I, and I looked at that today and I dwelled on that and thought about it. And I thought, how confused does, does one have to be to hear ministry preach the supernatural? To hear ministry preach about healings and miracles, to preach signs and wonders, to preach about gifts operating, and that the shout of the king is supposed to be in the count, in the camp. And then that person say, well, y'all are focusing too much on that and not on the word. That's a confused person. When those things are the very things that the word produces. So what I'm trying to say is, and I may say it again, if you're not producing that, it's proof that you're not truly focused on the word. Your source is contaminated. You're not drinking from the eternal perfect source like we talked about on Sunday. But a contaminated source will separate it and you'll have a dead word. Well, let's keep things in balance. That has become a buzzword for let's keep things dead. You know, I I told somebody just yesterday in conversation, a group of us were talking And I said, you know, I understand that our balance and God's balance are two different things. When we think balance, we think like 50-50 is balance. But God's balance is whatever's needed. However he wants it, that's balance. But if we're just going to look at it from the way we think about balance, we could preach nothing but the moving of the Spirit from now and the next 25 years, and we would never balance out all the dead, cold, formal teachings that we've been having for the last couple decades. Just to try to bring things back in balance. They've been so out of balance for so long. We we do need balance. That's the truth. We need to bring it balance to all the dead, cold, formal, ritualistic uh, teachings that's been going on forever and ever to where we ended up with churches full of cold, dead, formal Christians sitting on the pew with no life in them. We need to balance that out. We need the fire of God to come and purge it and balance it out to where we got a people on fire for God, walking with God, expressing God, manifesting God. The very image of God manifested again in a bride. But too many of us are manifesting church. Word, word, word. Yes, yes, yes. I don't know anyone who disagrees with that. But what you're saying is not true because if your focus was on the word, you're going to produce the works of that word. The works of John 14, 12. The works that Jesus produced. Brother Brown says, The word always comes to the truly spirit filled. I want you to stay close with this for a little bit. 
That is the evidence of being filled with the Holy Ghost. That is what Jesus said would be the evidence. So let's look at this for a moment. The Spirit and the Word. John 14, 16. And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another comforter, that He may abide with you forever. So He's talking about the Holy Ghost. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. So just hold that for a second as we go to the, as we go to the next one. But he says here, the world cannot receive the spirit of truth. Well, then what is truth? John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. John 8, 43. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. So they can't receive the Holy Ghost. We saw that in, in chapter 14, verse 17. They can't, it says the world can't receive it. And in John 8, 43, they can't receive the word. Why not? Why couldn't they receive one and not the other? Because they're the same thing. They are the same thing. Watch this now. John 16, 13. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, the word, the Holy Ghost, is come, he will guide you into all truth. So let's just stop and let's just put this together like, like a basic equation. If you have the Holy Ghost, can you walk and live in error? That doesn't mean you'll never mess up, but what's he going to do? He's going to guide you back into all truth. You're going to be in the truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So the spirit of truth here, the word, is going to guide you into all truth. In other words, all the word. Which in this day, there's only one place where you can find all the word. That's the message of the hour. So what's this saying? Let's put it in plain English. You cannot be a word rejecter. And claim that you have the Holy Ghost. You cannot look to a sign or a gift as the evidence. And then deny parts of the word. And claim to be spirit filled. That's what Pentecost did. That was the error of Pentecost. It's not that they accepted the gifts. They were supposed to accept the gifts. It was the restoration of the gifts. It's that they then rejected the word. And claim that they had the, 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 the authentic Holy Ghost. They denied the word. They claimed to have the Holy Ghost. Yes, they had been anointed. Sure, the Spirit of God had moved on them and amongst them. Absolutely. All right? But the rejection of the word proved that they were not the spoken word seed bride. How can the spoken word bride reject the word? It proved that they were not the original. They didn't have the life in them. It had passed through them. Brother Brown says here, I want you to note very carefully that Jesus did not say that the evidence of being baptized with the Holy Ghost was speaking in tongues. Now, I want everyone to focus here because I believe that you know 
And if you, that, that we believe in speaking in tongues and shouting and dancing. And if you're a student of the message at all, you'll know that Brother Branham believed in it too. But he's making it very clear so there's no confusion. Young people, I want you to, to, to understand this very clear. The evidence of being baptized with the Holy Ghost, he says, Jesus did not say the evidence of being baptized with the Holy Ghost was speaking in tongues, interpreting, prophesying, or shouting and dancing. He said the evidence would be that you would be in the truth. You would be in the word of God for your age. In other words, what he's saying here is the Holy Ghost in a person cannot feed on creeds and dogmas. It can't feed on partial truths and denominational ideas. The Holy Ghost will be identified with the light of the day. It will call you out of darkness. It will bring you to the truth every single time. And with the Spirit of God in you, you can't help but see the, the truth for your day. Because He is the Spirit of truth. He says, have you noticed... In Revelation twenty two seventeen, and the spirit and the bride say, come and let him that heareth say, come. See, the bride speaks the same word as the spirit. She is a word bride, proving she has the spirit. In every church age, we hear these words. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. The spirit gives the word. If you have the spirit, you will hear the word for your age. As those true Christians took the word for their age. That's what it says in John 8, 47. And he that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not because you are not of God. When you can't receive truth, it shows you are not of God. Now I want to notice. I want you to notice. I want us to stop before we run off into easy believism. And say, well, all you got to do is be in the message. And that's proof you got the Holy Ghost. That's not what he's saying. It's kind of like paying tithes don't make you a Christian, but Christians will pay tithes. Being in the message don't make you filled with the Holy Ghost, but if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you'll be in the message. Do you understand that? It, it, it's not it, you, you. If you have the Holy Ghost, you will be in the truth. You will be in the message. If you have the spirit, you will hear the word. But that doesn't mean if you're in the message, you have the Holy Ghost. If you truly have the Holy Ghost and you have that word, that life living on the inside of you, it will produce a life to back up your claim. Be, uh, be, being in the, uh, in the message is more than just admitting that the message is right. Coming to the word is more than just seeing that it's true. Nicodemus knew that it was true. He knew. And he said that they all knew. They all knew the message was right. Did that make them all saved? No, they crucified Jesus, knowing that the message was the truth. He said, we all know you come from God. In other words, yeah, I see that the message is right. That didn't mean they were saved and had the Holy Ghost. Far from it. But it's when you allow the word or the message or the truth of the day to change your life. There's many of people that sit right in the water and rot. They'll sit right there and rot. There's many that do that. They'll listen to the truth and rot. But when the spirit is there, they'll receive that word and the evidence of it will be a changed life. 
That's the evidence of it. Brother Branham says, he talks about tongues and other gifts are manifestations. He says they're not signs that you have the Holy Ghost. No, just because some people will take that and go, see, that's why we don't need it. That's not what he says. He makes it very clear. Let's just keep going. He says, why isn't the manifestation an evidence of being baptized with the Holy Ghost? Because you surely could not manifest the Holy Ghost unless you were truly spirit filled. He's asking a question. And then he says, you know, I, I hate to say this because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. He says, but you can manifest the Holy Ghost without having. He says, you can have manifestations of the Holy Ghost without being spirit filled. He says, so where is manifestation as an evidence? It isn't there. If you are truly filled with the spirit of God, you will have the evidence of the word in your life. Now, we'll find what is the evidence of the word in your life. And we'll get to that. But talking about manifestations and being the, the, the evidence of the Holy Ghost, he goes through several examples. He points back to Balaam. And he says Balaam was religious and he worshiped God. He said in talking about manifestations, he says, he says the spirit of God manifested through him. We're talking about Balaam. In one of the most beautiful portions of absolute accurate prophecy the world has ever seen. But he sure wasn't filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, I understand that was before it was given, but that's how Brother Branham would describe it. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't seed. He says, now then, what do you think of Caiaphasus, the high priest? The Bible says he prophesied the kind of death the Lord would die. We all know there's no record of him being spirit-filled. And then he goes into the examples and starts talking about the two preachers. There early on when he was first introduced to the Pentecostal people. And he talks about how they were speaking with tongues and interpreting and, and, and he wanted to know more about it. So he came up and began to speak to him. And he said one was a hypocrite and the other a genuine Christian. He says here were two men, one of which was a real believer and the other was a sinful impersonator. Yet both were manifesting gifts of the spirit. So, so what you're saying, Brother Aaron, is we don't want these manifestations? Of course we want these manifestations. We don't want you to arrest your Holy Ghost on these eternal manifest, on these manifestations. We don't want you going, I know I got it because I spoke in tongues. I know I got it because the, this thing swept over me and caused me to dance in the spirit. No, you don't know you got it. You had a manifestation of the spirit. The prophet's just saying, don't rest your soul on a gift or a tongue or a shout or a dance. That's it. Don't rest on them. They're not the evidence of the Holy Ghost. But what they are is evidence that the Holy Ghost is present and he is working in our midst. Who doesn't want that? Just, uh, just, just you as an individual... As a church, we want those things. It is evidence of God moving in our midst. But as an individual, you are not to rest your soul on that alone. He says, I will admit. Now pay attention because this, this, every one of these quotes are from the Pergamian age in order. Okay. I will admit that true manifestations is the evidence of the Holy Spirit doing mighty acts. I'll take it. 
I want the Holy Spirit to do mighty acts in Eden like Tabernacle. I want it to do in every church. I want it in my home. I want the Holy Spirit to do mighty acts. Period. So now that we've settled that. But it is not the evidence of the individual being spirit filled. Even though that individual has an abundance of those manifestations. You speak in tongues all the time, interpret all the time, dance all the time, shout all the time, run around the building all the time, word of knowledge, you name them and not have the Holy Ghost. He's being very clear about that. Now notice, now notice, because people like to hang on this first part, but then don't focus on the second part. Jesus never did stress the importance of the works as he did the word. We're done. Never did. I say amen. But I also say let's, let's take all of it. Why? Because he knew that if the people got the word, the works would follow. If people get the word, the works will follow. That is Bible. Amen. I, I say I want the works here so that I know for sure that what I'm feeding on is the word. It is. So so he says you'll have the evidence of the word in your life is the evidence of the Holy Ghost. Then he comes and tells you what is the evidence that the word is there. The works will follow. The works will follow. That is Bible. No, we don't chase after a gift. No, we don't look, look, look for tongues. No, we aren't sign seekers. But if you are in the word and the word in you, come on now. Yes, preach the word. Yes, focus on the word. Yes, emphasize the word. Because if that is truly what you're doing, the spirit's going to move. That's how it works. If you're focused on the word and preaching the word, the miracles will take place. The devils will be cast out. The lost will be saved. Those who need the Holy Ghost will be filled with the Holy Ghost. The shout of the king will be in the camp when you preach the word. When you focus on the word, all those things are going to follow. And if they're not, it's because you have departed from the word you so desperately claim to promote. I'll be honest with you, I'm ready for a lot of folks that claim to only focus on the word to actually start doing that. Because when they do look out, it's going to break out in their church. They ain't going to be able to contain it. They ain't going to know what's going on. We were just focusing on the word. I know that's what we've been doing for a while now. We've been loving it. We're focusing on the word. We're focusing on the word and signs follow and the sick are healed and people speak in tongues and people get happy and there's emotion that goes with it because we see our name on the Lamb's book of life that was written there before the foundation of the world. Why are you so excited about the word? Why are y'all running around the church? The word. Why are you so emotional? The word. It's what we focus on. I don't know why that's so small. We got giant screens and it's still tiny. It ain't little here, so I don't know what happened. Anyway, I'll read it to you. If you want deity in your midst, then welcome and receive the word. You're going to have to trust me that that's what it says. Welcome 
and receive the word. How do you welcome the word? By proper church order. By sitting very quiet and nodding. Which if I do it just right, I can sleep and do it and people will never know. That, how do you welcome and receive the word? You welcome it by how you respond to it. There's a lot of places that the word isn't welcome. And you can tell by the response to the word. The next one says, I wonder if we are sufficiently impressed with the word in our midst. How many of you ever heard that quote before? And I'll tell you this, as you as you travel and get around, what you'll find is it's a quote actually used to kind of suppress the moving of the spirit and the works and all those things are like, well, we have to be sufficiently impressed by the word in our midst. It's about being sufficiently, you know, impressed or, you know, by, by the word in our midst. We show how impressed we are by how we respond to it. That shows you how impressed you are by the word. The Pharisees were not impressed by the word in their midst. So they put Jesus in a corner with dirty feet. Direct correlation. If you're impressed by the word, you will worship him. You will praise him. You will shout. You will cry. If you are sufficiently impressed by the word, you won't have him stuck over in a corner. But when you're not sufficiently impressed by the word, you stick him there and then criticize everybody that washes his feet with their tears and dries it with their hair. But that's okay. I choose to be one of those that is impressed by the word and so it excites me I'm impressed by him so I worship him I'm impressed by him so I give him my everything it's the exact opposite of what people use that quote for you want God to move then welcome his word respond to his word worship accept it and see what begins to happen The last quote up there says, if the church way back there in that third age had only held on to the revelation of the living word in their midst, the power of God would not have faded as it did in those dark ages. If the church back then would have held on to the revelation of what? That it was a living word, he said, that it was life in it. That signs followed. That worship was supposed to be in spirit and in truth. That it was more than just doctrines and forms and traditions. If they would have fought for the moving of a living God. He says the power of God would not have faded as it did in those dark ages. There we go. The acts of God in our midst. Brother Brown says and right today. I love this. This brought such joy to me. When the church returns to the word in faith, we can say without a doubt that the glory of God and the wonderful acts of God will be in her midst again. So if we've returned to the word, what can we expect? The wonderful works and the wonderful acts to be in our midst again. If we have not returned to the word, then we can expect crickets. But when you return to the word, you have a right to expect the glory of God and the wonderful acts of God to move in our midst again. He says, whatever life was in the seed came forth into a plant and thence into fruit. 
The very same law applies to the church today. Whatever seed started the church will come forth and be like the original seed because it is the same seed. In these last days, the true bride church, Christ's seed, will come to the headstone. And she will be a super church, a super race as she nears him. They and the bride will be so much like him that they will even be in his very image. This is in order to be united with him. They will be one. They will be the very manifestation of the word of the living God. So much like him that the six days sick. So much like him that the lost stay lost. So much like him that sin goes unchecked in the church. So much like him that we reject the gifts that he sent us. So much like him that we don't want his spirit moving amongst us. Can you imagine actually being so different from him that his presence doesn't bring emotion in your life? Being so different from him that a revival in the church doesn't bring emotion, but criticism that you can look at and criticize it because you're so different from him. You don't recognize him so different from him. And therefore, you're not impressed with the word in your midst. And you put him in the corner and criticize those that begin to worship and praise him. Not this bride. No, that's not how this bride's going to act. She's going to be so much like him. She's going to be a super church, a super race in his image, an army that cannot be defeated, an army that cannot be stopped, an army that acts how he act when he was here. When we meet a devil, the devil's cast out. When there's sickness, we lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. There's still those filled with the Holy Ghost. There's still those delivered from addiction. There's those delivered from pornography. There's those delivered from depression. Why? His body's upon the earth and she's so much like him. She's doing it exactly what he did when he was here why must we be like him so we can be united with him bone of his bone flesh of his flesh she is him doing his works overcoming this world why because we're impressed with the word and we've accepted it and we're allowing it to do its work in us Those in the bride do only his will. No one can make them do otherwise. They have thus saith the Lord or they keep still. They know that it has to be God in them doing the works. Fulfilling his own word. He did not complete all his work while in his earthly ministry. So now he works in and through the bride. She knows that. For it was not yet time for him to do certain things that he must do now. But he will now fulfill through the bride that work which he left for this specific time. But Joe, we're going to finish this. You can't do away with the works or you've done away with the word. There's works for us to do. The same works. If you do away with that, you do away with John 14, 12. And so many other scriptures, there's works that we have to do. Revelations 2 verse 13. We're bringing this down. We're getting close to the end. It says, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is. 
And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Speaking of works here, he says, I know thy works. Brother Branham says, these are the identical words uttered to each of the seven messengers relative to the people of God in each age. As they are spoken to the two vines, the true and false, they will bring joy and gladness to the hearts of one group. But they ought to strike fear, strike terror in the hearts of the other. Yes, it's true that we're saved by grace and not of works. We're saved by grace. We're not saved by works. But true salvation will bring to pass works or deeds that are pleasing to God. And he says, I know thy works. First John 3, 7 says, little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth, that means worketh, righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Brother Brown says, if this verse means anything at all, it means that what a man does, he is. Matthew 12, 33 says, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. You can't do away with the works. He says, oh, generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart speaketh the mouth. He says, I know thy works. If a man fears, if you're sitting here today and this is where you're at. If a man fears that he might not please God, then let him fulfill the word. If a man wonders if he will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Let him fulfill the word of God in his life and assuredly he will hear those words of praise. He says, if a man wants to know how he's making out, let him do as James suggested. Look into the mirror of God's word. He goes on to say, difficult though it was at times to serve the Lord, yet they served him and worshiped him in spirit and in truth. But with the false vine, it was not so. Alas, they had repudiated the life that is built upon the word and were now going further and further away from the truth. How it must have pleased God in this age of persecution, in this age where they were being killed and murdered and slaughtered, that despite all that and despite the persecution, there was an elect group. That wouldn't back down. That were still holding on to the truth and still pressing on, still letting the word live in their hearts, live in their lives, and their works indicated that this was the truth. He goes on to say in this verse that thou holdest my name fast. To whom can we go? Thou alone hast the words of eternal life. They held fast then. They were holding fast now. But not with fatalistic dread as men who live out barren lives. They were holding fast in his strength. In the assurance of the spirit that they were one in him. They knew and they loved that name. And they knew it was above every other name. Their knees had bowed to that name. Their tongues had confessed to it. Whatsoever they did, they did it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And why is, he, why, why is Jesus pointing this out as he's speaking here? Thou holdest fast my name. Because in this time, the name of Jesus was being pushed completely aside. It was being pushed aside and titles of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost had completely taken over the church. 
The the so-called church was drying up and embracing the Trinity doctrine. And yet there was somebody that was still going, no, we're going to baptize in the name of Jesus. We're going to pray in the name of Jesus. We're going to believe in the name of Jesus. We're going to stand on the name of Jesus. We know salvation comes in the name of Jesus. And he's saying, thou held fast my name. You kept holding on to my name when others cast it aside. But you still held on. Still on that, he says, with so many dishonoring God, turning him into three gods and changing his gracious name to titles, one would wonder. I love this so much. He says, one would wonder if the signs and wonders that attend such a great name would still be visited amongst the people. Indeed, those signs were mightily and wonderfully manifested, though certainly not in the false vine. Men like Martin were greatly used and God bore them witness both by signs and wonders and gifts of the Holy Ghost. That name was still effectual as it always has been and ever will be where the saints honor him through word and faith. I say tonight, the name of Jesus is still as effectual as it's ever been. It still heals. It still delivers. It'll still fill you with the Holy Ghost in places where his name is honored and lifted up. There are still signs. There are still wonders and gifts of the Holy Ghost. Anywhere saints honor him. Anywhere that people are sufficiently impressed with the word. That's why he moves here. That's why he moves in Virginia. That's why he moves in Tennessee and Arkansas and Europe and everywhere else. It's a word revival. People who are sufficiently impressed with the word and that word brings life. He says, thou hast not denied my faith. Acts 3.16. Peter here is describing the miracle at the gate called beautiful. And he says in his name. He's telling them how it happened through faith in his name. So and his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him the crippled man this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Notice Peter did not claim it was his own human faith any more than he claimed it was his own name. What was it he said? It was the name of Jesus. And he used the faith that Jesus gives to perform that miracle. What's it say in Revelation 2.13? I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith. It's not your faith. It says thou hast not denied my faith. It was his faith. It was not faith in him, but it was his own faith that he made, that he had given to believers. Listen, your faith isn't weak. Oh, I don't know about my faith. I don't know if I got enough faith to be healed. I don't know if I got enough faith for a rapture. I think the faith that he gave you, which is his faith, is going to be exactly what you have need of. Just start putting trust in the fact that it ain't even your faith. Don't even just start casting down your doubts and start realizing he gave me a measure of faith. It's his faith that's going to take me out of here. It's his faith that's going to change my body. It's his faith that's going to take me in a rapture. He knew you didn't have enough faith, so he supplied the faith. He gave you exactly what you have need of. He says in today's church is filled with mental believers who endorse the virgin birth, 
the shed blood, going to church, taking communion. Those are all great things. He just described all of us, I hope, up until this point. But then he says, and are not reborn at all. Even so, in that third age was the same problem. Human faith wasn't enough then, and it's not enough now. It takes the very faith of the Son of God to drop into a man's heart so that he can receive the Lord of glory into the temple not made with hands. He says it wasn't enough then, and it's not enough now. This was a living faith. What did Paul say? I live by the faith. Did he say in the Son of God? He said of the Son of God. He didn't say in. He said of. So these people weren't looking to their church. They weren't looking to man's ideas. But God said, you have not denied his faith, my faith. And they knew that it was only through his faith that they were saved. Only through his faith were they healed. Only in, their, in his faith could they be delivered. As we come to this last slide now, the musicians can come. You can stand to your feet with me as we look at this. The last part of that verse was about Antipas, my faithful martyr. Brother Branham says, There is no other record in the word or any profane history concerning this brother, but surely there need not be. It is more than enough that he was foreknown and known of the Lord. He says, Full of the Holy Ghost and faith as was Stephen. He respected no one. He feared no one. And when death was pronounced upon all who would take that name and walk in the faith of Jesus Christ, he took his stand with those who would not turn back. Like those in that age, I say, hold on to the faith. Lift up the name of Jesus. Manifest the works of Christ. And right now determine in yourself like Antipas, I will not turn back. I don't need people to know my name. I don't care if anybody ever knows my name. But let it be said that I held the faith. That I lifted up the name of Jesus. And that I never would turn back. Even like Tabernacle, don't turn back. We're too close to turn back now. We're right at the blending of time and eternity. They stood. They made it. Every age has had an elect stand and make it. I'm looking at a group that's going to stand and that's going to make it. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, how grateful we are. Lord, that it's your faith that you've provided to give us the strength to stand in this day. Lord, may we have the courage to stand no matter what anyone says, no matter what criticism comes. Lord, as a matter of fact, help us to never criticize back. Help us, Lord, within ourselves, Lord, like like Stephen would say, Lord, to forgive them. Lord, as Jesus said, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Lord, I pray that each one that's drifted away and and Lord, those that have drifted away from the new birth and drifted away from you, Lord, may may a sweet go out tonight and begin to call your elect back home. Lord, we ain't giving up on one of them, Lord, because you promised that you weren't going to lose one. Lord, and I'm standing here not in my own faith, but in the faith of the Son of God, saying our children are coming back, our brothers and sisters are coming back, our sons and daughters, Lord, wherever they may be, wherever they've been scattered throughout the world, Lord, they're coming back. Lord, because you're not going to lose one, there's going to be a people who hold on to the faith, who lift up the name of Jesus. Lord, in a dying world, lifting up all kind of other gods, there is but one God to the true elect. And we worship you tonight, Lord, and we will not back down. Lord, we commit each soul into your hands. 
Lord, we ask that you'll strengthen us for the journey and the battles ahead. We love you, Lord, and we place it all in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Just flow through me, Holy Spirit.